Well, good morning. It's great uh, to have you online. Uh, if you're online or joining us in our Joburg congregation, if you have joined us, um, and I trust that God will speak to us this morning, speak to us as we hear this message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And we pray today that you will take the words that I'm going to share and you would make them relevant, Lord, to each person who's under the sound of my voice. That you will fill my heart, mind and mouth with your words for your people. Would you come and touch us, come and speak to us, come and catapult us into the next season for our lives, Lord, and reveal to us what this will require of us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, so as you can gather, we're continuing with a series on, in, uh, on new season. And the message of my title, uh, the title of my message <laughs> is A New Season Part 2. A New Season Part 2. Um, so, last week, if you uh, cast your mind back, we looked at the account of the disciples crossing the sea ahead of Jesus to Capernaum. And if you remember, Jesus came to them in the early hours of the morning, walking on the sea. Um, but for the disciples, it had been a stormy, boisterous, hard night of rowing. And um, it had been difficult. They'd rowed for hours. They hadn't made much difference. Um, they hadn't made much progress. And there was a moment after all of that when Peter and Jesus climbed into the boat. And at that moment, we, to we told that the boat uh, immediately got to its destination. So it's a picture of sorts, of a type of suddenly or a type of season change for the disciples, although it's a small picture because they'd just been rowing for a night. But it is a picture of a suddenly of God. And we discovered or we discussed last week that a suddenly of God is never really a suddenly at all. We can look at other people and think or look at other churches, other businesses and think, well, you know, God did a suddenly for them. Why can't he do a suddenly for us? And he can. But a suddenly, what looks like a suddenly is probably not a suddenly in a true sense of the word because there's probably been a whole build up where God was actually preparing for that. So when the person experienced the suddenly or they experienced a season change, they'd already gone through a lot of preparation and were ready for it. Um, and this was the situation with the disciples. And I believe that we are in a season change as a church. And um, this suddenly, as many of us are aware, is not really a suddenly, um, but it is a season change. And so this week, I would like us to continue exploring this thought. And I'm wanting us to specifically explore how can we expect things to change when seasons change from a type of wilderness or a type of winter to a type of spring or a type of entering of a promised land, um, how, what, what can we expect to change when this happens? And to do this, I'd like us to look at the children of Israel. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the children of Israel um, when they were entering their, their promised land. Now, if you cast your minds back to the Israelites in the desert, that was a wilderness of sorts. If you think about it, there wasn't much that grew there. It was uh, not a fruitful place, not externally. 
anyway, although, that, although we know that the Lord was testing their hearts and working um, in their hearts at a deep level, which he loves to do, by the way, in seasons of hiddenness and seasons of winter. But the wilderness was a wilderness. It was a dry and thirsty land. They had to trust God for the most basic of needs. And the Lord provided for them manna as food. Um, they didn't have to farm. They didn't have to uh, uh, sow seed, uh, plow, sow seed, reap harvest, and so on and so forth. The Lord provided manna for them. Their shoes and their clothes did not wear out. They were laid clearly by a pillar of fire by night and, and pillar of cloud by day. Um, they didn't experience war. There were many things that they experienced that were difficult, yes, but there were certain things that the Lord did for them and they didn't have to work um, in that regard. So they were in a wilderness, yes, but God kept them in that wilderness um, whilst they, they spent all of those years there. And the whole time they were there, their goal was to enter the promised land. So the desire was to enter the promised land. Now, when the season finally changed and they entered the promised land, everything changed for them. Everything, everything changed. God hadn't changed. Their season had changed. And the requirements of them were different to before. And I want us to think about that for a moment. God hadn't moved. God hadn't changed. Their season had changed. God had prepared them for this. They were ready for this. And what was required and expected of them was different. If you think about it, when they transitioned into the promised land, some of the changes, they weren't fed by manna. God didn't feed them by manna. Their clothes and their shoes would have worn out. They would have had to actually work for their food. They would have had to plow and to sow and to plant and to reap and to winnow and grind and to bake if they wanted bread. God had moved on. He hadn't moved away. God had moved on and they needed to move, to move with him. Yes, they were entering his promises. They were entering his promised land. It was a land flowing with milk, flowing with honey, but it required more of them actually. And it was different to what they were used to. For some of them, it would have been completely different than anything they'd experienced for their whole lives if they were born in the wilderness. And, um, and so this is something that I'm wanting us to just think about in relation to ourselves individually and God's, promised, God's promises for us and, and the promised land, so to speak, for us as individuals, as families, but also as a church and as a congregation. If you're part of this church, if you belong to this church, then it has implications for you too. And I'm wanting to read Deuteronomy 8. Um, in the notes, I think I've got from about two, verse 2 to verse 18. I won't read all of that to you. But I'll just pick out a few points that will um, help to, to back up what I'm saying. Um, Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You know, very interesting. God provided for them. It wasn't easy, but God provided and they were okay. 
You know, it reminds me a little bit of the disciples rowing all through the night. If you remember what we discussed last week, yes, it was hard. Yes, it was stormy. Yes, it was windy. Yes, it was scary. But guess what? They didn't drown. Their boat didn't capsize. And if we remember, Jesus would have walked on the water and passed them by had they not asked him into their boat, which means he wasn't a single bit concerned about their safety. They were actually going to be fine. So in the same way, God took care of the Israelites in the wilderness. They were actually going to be fine and they were fine. And he taught them lessons in the wilderness. He taught them about relying on him. Now, when the season changed and they moved into the promised land, it was the same God who was going to take care of them. They could still trust him. In fact, they would need their intimate knowledge of a trustworthy God and the lessons that they had learned in the wilderness for the promised land. It was just going to look different. And that's really important for us to remember that God arms us and equips us with lessons in our, in our wilderness, in our winters, in our difficult times, for the times when we do enter our promised land, when we do have a season change, and it might look different, but God always builds, and there's no lesson that's wasted. And generally speaking, we may need what we've learned to gain victory in the place where we are. Joshua 5 verse 12, Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. So as soon as they ate the produce of the land, the next day, God stopped feeding them manna. He was like saying, okay, guys, it's time to grow up. I'm not going to uh, um, spoon feed you anymore. Season has changed. It's now time to do something and make your own food. The manna ceased on the day after they'd eaten the produce of the land. And the children of, the Is of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Okay. So certain things changed and what I'm wanting to look at in this message is three things in particular that um, we can glean from the Israelites in terms of entering our promised land. So how was it different? How was it different? How can we expect things to be different in the season change as, season, as the season changes? So the three things I'll be looking at, I'm not going to tell you what they are. You'll have to listen and hear me out. Um, but as I go through these three particular things, I'm wanting you to reflect firstly on yourself, on yourself, maybe yourself and your family and the promises God has given you. And if you think that there's a season change that is coming in your personal life and what does it look like if God is taking you into a promised land of sorts, how will these three things apply to you and what will you need to do differently and what do you think um, will be expected of you that's a bit different in these next uh, in this next season and on top of that I also want you to think about how it applies to our church uh, because if you're a part of this church then our the season change for the church and it is a season change for our church that we are entering into will mean that the different expectations and requirements that the Lord will have of you and so as I go through these points I also want you to be thinking and reflecting and on and trusting God to speak to you concerning the church and your involvement in the church and how he wants to use you possibly differently as we go into a new season so let's get started the first um, thing that was different about the promised land for the Israelites was that there was war. There was war. There was no war in the wilderness, but there was now war 
in the promised land. He's saying to me, promised land, war, how is that? Well, just think about it. The Israelites had to fight for their promised land. Possessing the land required war. It required a fight for every bit of land that God had promised to them. So yes, God had promised it to them. He actually said, I will give it to you. But he didn't just give it to them. They actually had to do something for it. And in this country today where people think, you know, that some people think that things must just be given and I can just sit on my butt and do nothing. No, like that's not, we see in the Bible, God says, I'm going to give this to you, but they still had to do some things. They still had to apply themselves to take a hold of what God had promised them. Joshua 1 verse 2 to 4. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. He's given it to them. That's what he says. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So God gave them this massive promise concerning the promised land. All of this territory, he said, I'm giving it to you. Um, but they still had to fight for it. And they had to fight for it one battle at a time. God said he was going to give it to them, but there was resistance. And there was more than resistance sometimes. There was often, there was actually war. And God uses the resistance and God uses the war to help us to get stronger when we have to fight and stand and endure and wage war, it's not actually because God is not doing his part. It's not because he's some sadistic God up there that's kind of teasing us and tantalizing us. No, he's, he's doing it because while we are waging war, while we are standing, while we are fighting, while we are enduring, enduring, we are actually growing stronger. And when we possess the land and more of it, we will be stronger from the fighting. And so there's method in, in the madness to use that phrase. Exodus 23 verse 29 to 30. This is the Lord speaking and he says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. This is the Lord speaking to his people. He's not going to give them the land all at once. He says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. God was not going to drive their enemies out all at once like many of us would we think we would like that. But God says, no, I can't do that because the beasts of the field will become too numerous for you and the land will become desolate. I'm going to drive them out little by little, by little so when you finally have it all, you are able to contain it and maintain it. Okay, so God loves to give us our territory and our victories, our promised land, one bit at a time. We can remember this as we go to war for our promised land. God has promised us a new season. He's giving us a new, a new season and, and a season to enter our promised land, but it will require war. And I think certain things are so important in war and spiritual warfare. The first thing is we need to know His will. We have to know His will. We need to seek His guidance, to seek His help, to understand what His word says concern, concerning certain things. And Matthew 6 verse 9 to 10 says, In this manner therefore pray, it's Jesus saying this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's so important that we understand what God's will is, seek his will, and we pray his will into being. If we don't pray it, it may not happen. That's why Jesus taught us to pray it, because it makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. And we need to understand what God's will is. So we're praying it right. So we're walking in the right, in the right path. So we need to understand his wisdom and his strategies. And if I if we look look at the the beginning, you know, when the children of Israel had crossed into the promised land and began to take the land, the first, they first of all defeated Jericho, and then they went against Ai, and they and the Lord gave them um, Ai as well, and He gave them a different strategy for those two battles, and they listened to the Lord, and and God, they they were victorious because they sought His strategy, they got a strategy from God, and they obeyed it, and. So we need strategies from God for the battles that face us. Um, and sometimes we, we need a strategy for every day. There's some seasons that are really intense warfare and we need a strategy every day. Sometimes we need a new strategy every week. We've got to trust God for a strategy. Sometimes we need a new strategy for every new challenge or every new season. But we do need to hear from him and get a sense of his will. There have been seasons in my life where he will just say to me, your strategy is praise. Your strategy is praise. There's a more recently there's a season where the strategy is worship. The enemy brings such heaviness against me. My strategy is worship. There was a season in my life where the Lord said to me, Your strategy is rest. He wasn't talking about a passive rest. He was talking about being at peace, at spiritual rest, and being able to hear him even in the midst of, of the storm. There have been seasons where literally I will need to get a new strategy every single day. So we need to understand God's the timing in our lives and what is going to be best for us and what is wise for us in terms of strategies, what God is saying. We need to hear from him. We need to get a sense of his will. And another thing that we need in terms of in times of uh, in terms of this war and in times of war is we need his discernment. We really need his discernment. You know, after the Israelites deceit defeated Jericho, then I, then the Gibeonites came to them and the Israelites should have actually gone to war against them and defeated them. But the Gibeonites decided to come deceptively to Joshua and the Israelite leaders and trick them. And so they pretended to be from a land far away and they tricked Joshua and the Israelite leaders to make a treaty of sorts with them for their own preservation. Um, and so in the end, because They'd made this treaty. They couldn't actually go to war and destroy them. We see in Joshua 9 verse 14 to 15, it says, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions. This is the Gibeonites' provisions. But they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them, the Gibeonites, and made a covenant with them to let them live. So unfortunately, the Israelites went ahead, as we can see in the scripture, without asking counsel from the Lord. They didn't have any discernment. They believed these guys and they were deceived. Okay, They hadn't asked the Lord for his counsel. And so we really need to be in prayer and to hear the counsel of the Lord and strategies from the Lord so we are not ensnared or deceived. I had a situation quite recently. I was going to be selling something quite valuable. Um, and one of the places I just put it up for sale was Facebook Marketplace. And um, it was quite interesting because I had some people who were interested in purchasing it. And I'm a bit sort of cautious about these sales on these types of platforms. And I'd never sold something worth this, this amount of money on, on a platform like this. So I was a bit um, apprehensive. 
but um, this lady contacted me, no, you know, her husband, she wanted it for her husband, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, um, just ask her such and such and such, and I thought, okay, I'll ask her, and then she gave me an answer, and it lay, it opened a door to a line of questions where when the husband got hold of me to say, yes, I want it, um, I could tell that there was something something was off and something was really not great. And I actually began to feel this cobwebby feeling all over me as soon as he started, you know, as, as soon as I, as I started reading his WhatsApp messages. And to me, that speaks of intimidation control. It speaks of a, that contrary spirit. I began to sense certain things. And I knew immediately this, this is a scam. These guys are not for real. And um, the thing is that if I hadn't actually asked the question that I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to ask, I don't know, um, maybe, I, maybe God, I mean, hopefully God would have revealed it to me that it was a scam and I'm sure he would have. But I'm just saying that in general in life, we need to be so sensitive to God's leading so that we're not deceived, so sensitive to his leading so we get a strategy for whatever he's leading us in to do. Um, and it's really important. So that's the first thing is, is, is praying and, and hearing from the Lord. The second thing is, is waging war, um, waging war. And this is, this sounds obvious under a title called war warfare, but, um, yeah, 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. And I'm wanting to mention this because, I think it is so critical. Um, what has God promised you in this season that you're going into? What has God promised us as a church in this season? What inheritance words has he given us? Are we standing on these in faith? Are we using these in prayer? Are we declaring them? Are we waging war in the spirit with them? Um, it's so important for us, you know, to remember them and bring them to remembrance and um, and and use them for that. That's really important. That's the first thing is the promises of God, the word of God, which is sure. Um, the second thing I'm just wanting to say is warfare can also be things like walking in integrity and honesty. Sometimes it can be challenging people with truth, speaking out when no one else is speaking out. Sometimes it can be walking in forgiveness and grace towards someone we feel is undeserving of it. Um, and by the way, none of us are deserving of it. So I'm saying, you know, we feel because that at an emotional level, sometimes we do feel like that. I can't forgive this person because it's like saying what they did is okay and it's not okay. And we forget that God has forgiven us. And the act of forgiving is also an act of war. It's war over our own hearts and God's forgiveness toward us. You know, sometimes choosing to not judge is warfare. Sometimes showing love and mercy is war. Sometimes giving and sowing a seed and generosity is war. Sometimes confronting what others are not is war. Sometimes being a voice for the voiceless is war. Sometimes it's worship. Sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's standing on God's word. But we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit um, and and use his word. The third thing is that as we go into this uh, a promised land, it's, it's important that we embrace discipline. We embrace discipline. The Israelites would have had to face discipline. They would have 
had to face discipline and we'll look at that a bit more in one of the later points but it's important we embrace discipline 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24 to 27 do you not know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things they do it to obtain a perishable, a perishable crown but we for an imperishable one Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I should become disqualified. You know, how are we with embracing discipline for ourselves? 2 Timothy 2 verse 3 to 5, You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Embracing discipline, embracing discipline for the season that we are going into, that we're in. What is discipline? It is doing what I have pre-decided to do regardless of my emotional state or my feelings. It is doing what I know I need to do regardless of the situation around me and how difficult it is to get up and do it. You know, it may look like getting up and praying when I don't feel like it. It may look like fasting when I've pre-decided to fast, even when it's the last thing on earth that I feel like doing. It may look like fulfilling a commitment when I just don't feel like it. Forgiving someone who I don't want to, you know. Finishing something I don't feel like finishing. It may look like getting out of bed, going to church, showing up, fulfilling a commitment to the Lord or yourself or someone else. Discipline is so important. If you think about the Israelites, when they went into the promised land, they had to be disciplined. They had to, I'm going to look at this just now, but they had to work. They had to sow. They had to reap. They had to, you know, take care of their stuff. They had to work. They had to embrace discipline. And we'll look at that just now. Um, hmm. Beautiful example. I'll just read Joshua 11 verse 23. It says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by tribes. I want to ask you a question. Did Joshua inherit all of that land? No, he didn't. You know, did all the people inherit all of that land that they fought for? No, they didn't. They inherited their allotment, but they had discipline, and they had to fight for more than they ended up with. But... They did it. Joshua did it. Judges 1 verse 3. So Judah says to, said to Simeon's brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with them. You see, sometimes discipline is fighting battles that we don't stand to gain from. That's discipline. When you know it's a good thing, and we don't actually stand to personally gain from it. Standing with our brothers and sisters, applying ourselves, applying our strength, our energy, our resources, possibly even for our brothers, for our sisters, fighting battles with them, standing in the trenches with them. That takes discipline. That takes character. And that's the type of discipline, I think, that God is going to be wanting to see in us as we go into the promised land. The fourth thing that I'm wanting to discuss in terms of war and what I think is so important for us as we enter our promised land is choosing endurance. Choosing endurance. You remember all those hours of rowing through the night without making progress in your dark season or with the disciples rowing through the night waiting uh, without Jesus. Well 
God was preparing. God was preparing for something. He was preparing you for something. He was doing something in the disciples. Um, he was preparing you for a season when you would need endurance. A, do- a long season where I rode and rode and rode uh, through the night, you know, um, God would have been preparing me, strengthening me, uh, helping me to have endurance. Do you remember how David told um, Saul he could fight Goliath? And his reasoning was the same Lord who delivered him from the, the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion would be the same God who would deliver him from Goliath. The point being that with God, there are no trials that we face which are wasted. God is training our hands for war and our fingers for battle. God uses the things we've gone through, the battles and the victories that we've gone through to prepare us for those that we are yet to face. So whatever we've been through, if he's been working endurance in us, if it's been difficult, if we've had to grow strong through to, to survive certain things, he's, we're going to need that strength in a season to come. And so we have to choose endurance. Um, God if we've come through a long dark season of the soul or a long dark night of rowing, it's because we're going to need to choose endurance in the season, one of the seasons that are coming up and probably in our promised land. Okay. Um, Yeah. So strength and endurance, that's what comes out of a season of rowing and rowing and rowing and feeling like you're making no progress. You know, Hebrews 12 verse one to two, um, it says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Such a powerful picture and I love that picture. Let us run with endurance. You know, endurance, I think a large part of endurance, yes, a large part of it is training. But aside from that, a large part of endurance is actually up here. It's actually choosing to endure. It's actually choosing and saying, I will not quit. It's choosing endurance. And I think that we need to do that to say, I'm going to run this race with endurance that is set before me. And it's important that we do lay aside every weight Um, that everything that is from the past so that we can run more easily into the future. And God, I think, is doing something in us right now where he's wanting to clean out our closets, so to speak, clean us out of heavy weights, of heavy burdens that we've been carrying, which he doesn't want us to carry into the new season. And we see that in this particular scripture. Um, But as we saw, God said to the Israelites that he wouldn't give the land to them all at once, that he was going to let them take it bit by bit. Why? Because he he is and he was interested in the longevity of things. He's not only concerned about us getting the land, but also us keeping it and us thriving in it. And, and so we'll need endurance to take the land one battle at a time. And we will take the land one battle at a time because God is on our side. Amen. So when you think of these points that I've mentioned, seeking the Lord, waging war, embracing discipline and choosing endurance. Um, when you think of these, how do you think the Lord may require these for you and your personal capacity entering your promised land? How do you think, as you reflect on yourself personally, and how do you think the Lord may require these of you in your capacity as a member, as a part of the local church, if we are entering a promised land? What do you think that God could be nudging you 
regarding. These are the questions that I'm wanting you to take from my sermon today and just mull over and prayerfully take before God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The second thing that I think um, is important as we enter the promised land and we see this in the children of Israel and what they were instructed is that possessing the land, entering the promised land will require courage. It's required the Israelites to stare those giants in the, in the promised land, to stare them down through the eyes of faith. And if you remember the 10 spies, when they were sent out initially um, to go and spy out the land, it was actually 12 spies, but the 10 spies who came back that didn't actually see through the eyes of faith. And ultimately, because they didn't have courage and they didn't see through the eyes of faith, it disqualified them from being part of taking possession of the land. It disqualified them from taking possession. Um, it disqualified them from inheriting the promise of God that God had made to them. That is really quite something. So a lack of courage and a lack of faith can actually disqualify us from inheriting what God has for us. Fear and unbelief can cause us, can trip us up and cause us to be disqualified from our inheritance. And I'm going to read from Numbers 13 from verse 25. Um, and there it says, they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel. They brought back word to them and to all congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they said, we went to the land you sent us to. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites live in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebulites and all the ites that they mentioned. And then Caleb quieted the people and says, let's go up. Caleb could obviously sense these guys, these guys are afraid. Then Caleb says, let's go up. We're well able to take possession. But the other 10 spies said, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than we and it says in verse 32, they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out and said the land that we have gone through is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Then there we saw giants, the descendants of Anak. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And what happened? They were disqualified from inheriting the land. You know, when Joshua, when finally those, the, that generation had died off in the wilderness and God brings the people back to inherit the land and Joshua is speaking to the people, what does he say? Be strong and of good courage. This is John, Joshua 1 verse 6 to 9. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as inheritance the land which I swore to the fathers to give them. This is the Lord speaking to the people through Joshua. Be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do all the law with um, which my Moses, my servant, commanded you. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. 
Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So courage and faith are so important. And we really need to guard our hearts as we enter the promised land. We need to guard against fear, guard against discouragement. You know, Deuteronomy 1 verse 21. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear nor be discouraged. So important. God has set the land before us. Go up and possess it. Let's go up. It's a new season for us as a church. Let's go up all together and possess it. Maybe it's a new season for you in your life. Go up and possess it. Do not fear nor be discouraged. If you're starting something, if you're beginning something new, something fresh, if you're birthing something, do not fear nor be discouraged. And you might say to me, well, how can we guard against this? I'm glad you asked. Romans 10 verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God. It's so important. It's so powerful. The word of God is alive and active. The word of God is like a seed that we plant in our hearts that will bear fruit. Isaiah says that God's word always accomplishes that which it is sent for. We need to plant the word of God in our hearts. We need to declare the word of God. We need to agree with the word of God. We need to allow the word of God to shape our view of situations and our perspectives. We need to stand on the word of God and trust in the word of God and his promises until we see it coming into fruition, that word coming to fruition, to wage war with the word of God. So powerful, helps to um, cause faith to rise in our hearts. You know, when you think of this, this particular aspect, courage in your personal capacity and what God is calling you into right now, how does this apply? What type of situation are you in? How do you need courage? Are you like Peter stepping out of the boat in a stormy sea? Are you still rowing through the night waiting for that season to change? Is God speaking to you about stepping out regarding something? How does courage apply and what areas do you need courage? When you think of the church and the season we are entering into, how do you think we will need courage? What role do you think that you will have in this? in creating an environment that is courageous, that is faithful. And the third aspect which I'm wanting to discuss today is work. The first one was a promised land requires war for, possess for possessing it. The second one is it requires courage. And the third one is that it requires work. It requires work. And this was what I was alluding to when I was talking about Things that change when we enter a new season. This is a major thing that actually changes. Possessing and thriving in a promised land inevitably requires work. I love a quote by Thomas, this quote by Thomas Edison. He says, we often miss opportunity because it's dressed up in overalls and looks like work. <laughs> we often miss opportunity because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. And that's so true. Proverbs 24, verse 32, 34 says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So important that we take care of the land that God is giving us. We take care of it. 
remember this scripture that says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Are you hearing what I'm hearing when I read that? Because I'm hearing work. Wheat and barley need to be planted, need to be tended, need to be harvested, and then need to be threshed, need to be prepared that, in, into some form of grain that can be used. And maybe they need to be ground. That takes work, okay? Vines and fig trees and pomegranates, they need to be taken care of. If they're not there, they need to be planted. They need to be watered. They need to be fed. They need to be cared for. And then they can be harvested and used in whatever way. If it's vines and they're going to make wine, then it have to make wine. If it's fig trees, pomegranates, whatever, it requires work. A land of olive oil. Hello. Olive trees would have to be planted and cared for and the olives harvested and then crushed into olive oil. Olive oil and honey. Hello, honey. We need bees. We need to keep bees. It requires work. It says, verse 9, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. Wonderful eating bread. Guess what? To get bread, you're going to have to plow the field, plant the wheat or the barley or whatever you're going to use. Take care of it. Harvest it. Mill it or grind it. Then you're going to have to start baking it. And only then can you eat it without scarcity. It's going to take work. It's going to require something of you. The man is just not going to arrive on the ground um, overnight and you just pick it up and use it. No, it requires, it's going to require work in this new season. It says, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Wonderful. That's great. Guess what? Stones are iron. Somebody's going to have to go out there and get those stones and carry them and get the iron out of those stones before it can be of any use. That requires hard work. And dig copper. Yes, that also sounds wonderful, but it's going to require work. Verse 12, less when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses. Building, we, we like to hear the beautiful houses part of it. But we don't always hear the built beautiful houses. In other words, you've had to lay the found, draw the plan, lay the foundations, fetch the bricks, do everything to build the beautiful house. You got to furnish it. So it requires work. Then verse 13, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, it sounds great. But if you think about the small print of that, herds and flocks multiplying, it's going to require work. They need to be fed. They need to be watered. They need to be cared for. And if they're multiplying, it means you're taking care of them and you're causing them to be in a situ situation where they can actually breed. Okay, they're going to have to be happy. Your silver and gold are multiplied. Silver and gold don't just grow on trees. I don't know if you've discovered that. Money just doesn't grow on trees. We have to do something in order to multiply what God has put in our hands. So your silver and gold and all that you have multiplying requires W-O-R-K. So the promised land was going to require work. Okay, can you? I hope you can hear the small print of this. I hope you can see 
all the various things in the promised land that we see here that required work. It's important to understand that we are immature if we think that we will enter a promised land. We can just sit down and do nothing and God will cause manna to fall out of the sky. God will just give us whatever we wanted in the same way that we received manna in the wilderness. It's just not the right season for that anymore. We have to grow up. Okay. And actually, I want to encourage you with this account of what happens in Luke 5, verse 1 to 7, um, the multitude presses, pressed close to hear the word of the Lord. And um, Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone and were washing the nets, so they'd given up. And Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked Simon to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, launch out and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon said to him, Master, <laughs> we have worked all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. I don't know how much belief was in his heart, but he probably thought, let me just obey. And when they did it, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats with fish so that the boats began to sink. You see, sometimes we might have been doing some form of work something we've been doing something but we haven't necessarily seen the promise fulfilled and sometimes a change in season means that we do what we've been doing all along but we suddenly see the results suddenly we see the results God is calling us to make small changes in obedience small changes in our strategy and then we see greater results than we've seen in a long time but the results the promised land or the promise being fulfilled will bring work. As, as we saw here, the nets had to be hauled in. If they were breaking, they would have to be fixed and attended to. The fish had to be cleaned. It had to be sorted. It had to be carried. Fruitfulness and um, a promise fulfilled, God's word fulfilled, inevitably brings with it work. Okay, so it's important that we understand that a change of season into a promise or a fulfilled or into a promised land brings with it work of its own kind. Now, I'm wanting to look again at the Israelites and just go a bit deeper in terms of what types of work was required of them. And the first thing is um, they had to guard, to keep and to tend what was theirs. They had to guard, keep and tend what was theirs. Now, in the same way that they had to do that, I want to ask you today, what is God entrusting to you in the season that we are going into? And what is God entrusting to you in the season that you are in right now? Are you being faithful to guard it, to feed it, to nourish it, to protect it, to tend it? You see, the Israelites would have needed to do all of this to the flocks and the herds that they inherited in the promised land. Yes, it's wonderful to have animals. Yes, it's wonderful to have increase, but it requires work to keep and maintain some of the things that God blesses us with. How does this apply in your life? Where do you think that there are possibly some walls that have broken down where you're not guarding, where you're not keeping, where you're not tending? The second thing is that it would have required the plowing of fields and the soil to plant. That is work. 
And what does this look like if we apply it into our lives? It looks like breaking into new ground, breaking into new territories, starting new things, preparing things. It looks like rooting out weeds and throwing out, getting rid of rocks and setting boundaries and building strong boundaries. How do you think this applies to your life? How can you apply this now? And how can you prepare something for any season that God is wanting to take you into? The third thing that the Israelites would have needed to do is to sow seed. To sow seed. If you sow seed in a wilderness, it's probably not going to yield much fruit. If you sow seed in winter, probably not going to see much growth yet. But when you sow seed into ground that has been plowed, that is ready, and, the, and it's springtime, you're going to see a whole lot more life. And sowing, sowing seed, it requires vision. It requires a dream. It requires a desire. It requires faith. And I want to ask you today, what is in your hand to sow? You see, if we do not sow, we cannot expect a harvest to reap in the next, you know, in, in times to come, in seasons to come. We have to sow. And sometimes God causes us to sow things that are painful to sow. Sometimes it's hard to sow the things that God asks of us to sow. What is in your hand to sow? God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. That's what Isaiah says. What seed are you sowing? I said earlier that I was trying to sell something recently um, in a number of different um, online platforms and through some people that I know that sell those things. And the Lord spoke to me this morning to sow it. And I must say, I wasn't joyful and rejoicing when I heard that at first because of the, you know, it's not always easy. But when God calls us to sow, he does it for a reason. And I know the reason that I need to sow that. God was kind enough to let me know. But it was something that was in my hand. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because God gives seed to the sower. And sometimes we might say, well, I look at my bank account. I don't have anything to sow. Well, I'm wanting to challenge you today. Ask God, what is in your hand that you can sow? What is in your hand that you can sow? Because inevitably he will show you something that you can sow, you can part with. Um, and it's important. And I'm not only going to talk about physical things, sowing physical things. I'm also wanting to talk about sowing the word into our hearts, sowing into relationships, sowing time, sowing effort, sowing energy, you know, sowing time into what we know we ought to. Yes, sowing, sowing finances, sowing prayer, sowing tears even. But we need to sow in the season that we're going into. Psalm 126 verse 5 to 6 says, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Even when we sow with tears, especially when we sow with tears, we come back with a harvest. Amen. The fourth thing that required work of the Israelites was maintaining houses, maintaining homes, maintaining properties. Okay. I've heard it said a number of times, easy to obtain, difficult to maintain. And I think this is true. We see this 
Um, we see this a lot around us. We see this possibly even in our own lives and households. You know, it's easy to get a new car, but you have to maintain it. It has to be serviced. It helps if it's on some form of motor plan, you know. Um, uh, it's easy to get married. It, it seems it's easy to get married. It seems it may be more challenging remaining married if I look at the statistics, you know. Uh, it's easy to obtain a house, to obtain a home, to obtain a business, to obtain a farm. It's easy to maintain these, th I mean, to obtain these things, but it seems it's more challenging to maintain them and to maintain them with excellence. It requires work, you know, it requires time, it requires effort, it requires an acknowledgement of the lack of knowledge sometimes. It requires acknowledgement of lack of, of, of expertise in some areas. It requires upskilling. Um, it requires basically work to uh, maintain these things. And, and so um, it's important that we understand this. Yes, we're going into a new season as a church. Yes, it's awesome. Yes, God is fulfilling some of his promises to us. And, and a new season is wonderful. Spring is beautiful. There's new life. I love spring. All my roses in my garden start putting out buds and start flowering, you know. And the ones closest to the basketball hoop become casualties. But all the other ones, <laughs> they're okay and they're beautiful. I love season. I mean, I love spring as a season. You know, there's new shoots. There's new life. Um, spiritual spring is awesome. Everything sounds, smells, feels amazing. Things work. New life comes forth easily, you know. But remember that with this new life, with new shoots, with new inheritance of land, will come the need for war. There will come a need for courage because there will be battles that we will face. There will come a need for work because we will need to maintain. We will need to do things um, in the promised land that we might not have had to do prior to this. And so having shared all of this, I'm wanting to remind you as you leave this message, in terms of your personal promised land, how do you think you need to up your game in terms of um, guarding, keeping, tending, plowing, sowing seed, maintaining? In terms of the church, how do you think we will need to guard, to keep, to tend, to plow, to sow seed, to maintain? How do you think you will be able to assist us with this? You know, in terms of church and the season we're going into, it's going to be awesome, wonderful. You know, it's something we've been praying for, trusting God for, for 12 years, you know, and we're coming into this season. A change of season is going to require something of all of us, of all of the members, of all of our, our people, of all of us. It will require involvement. It will require hands. It will require hearts. It will require feet. It will require volunteers. It will require prayer. It will require minds. It will require expertise, people's professional skills possibly. Yes, it's exciting, but it will require certain things. Do you think you're up to it? Do you think you are available for the Lord? So in conclusion, I'm wanting us just to think about the three main points of the message today. I'm wanting you to think about about them in terms of yourself and the season that you're in, the season that God is possibly taking you into. And I'm wanting you to think about it in terms of yourself in, the, in relation to the church and the new season that we're going into as a church. 
So in terms of war, in terms of courage, and in terms of work, I want you to reflect on those three points as they apply to you and as they apply to your involvement in the church. And as you do so, I trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Thank you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you're a God who speaks. We're so grateful that you're a God who shows us strategies and shows us seasons and gives us understanding. We're so grateful that you're a God who gives us the grace to handle each season. And I pray now for each person, all of us, that have heard this message, that you would speak to us concerning warring, concerning things that we need to change, small changes, big changes, heart changes, actionable changes. Pray that you would help us to live from a place of courage and faith, Lord God, and to bring us into a place of being willing